Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, uh, welcome to Living Free Show uh, on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to Ruminations crew for another great show. Their show highlights issues around homelessness and rooming houses. I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist with recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Um, our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experiences save lives. Uh, today, my guests are Kylie and Dave, and they're members of Narcotics Anonymous, and they're going to be sharing their experience of drug addiction and how NA has helped them to recover. So welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon, to guys. Hi, Bill. Thank you. Hi. Um, yeah, so we usually start off by talking about growing up, sort of family family life, how we fit it in, and sort of get to why we thought using drugs and alcohol was was a good idea. So, Carly, starting with you, what was life like for you growing up? Okay, so uh, I grew up in a um, a single parent family. I was the only child until I was about ten, um, and my mum was a um, addict, alcoholic, um, quite dysfunctional, uh, could be quite aggressive at times. Um, and from a very young age, I kind of felt like I didn't fit in. I was less than, um, I, I didn't know where I fit in life. I, I always felt full of fear. Um, from a very young age, that was my normal, um, yeah, I sort of um, learnt from a young age to escape in things like fantasy, so through books. Um, and I also became very um, dependent on sugar at a young age as well. Okay, yeah. Um, that was my first true addiction and is still an addiction to this day. Yep. Um, so what was life like living with a mum who drank and used drugs? It must have been very... Uh, what... Unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. It was very unpredictable because I never knew whether I was going to get the happy drunk mum or the aggressive drunk mum or I just didn't know what I was going to get. And um, I kind of learnt from a young age to sort of – it was like walking on eggshells. It was walking on eggshells yeah. on a daily basis <clears throat> in my in my home as a young child. And we moved lots. We moved heaps um, due to my mum's addiction and um, – I know, so I, like I was always the new kid in school. I was I was always having to create. Um, I didn't have to, but I chose to create backstories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So always like a a really good story as to why we moved rather than the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so was your mum abusive? Yeah, she was. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Um, while she was in active addiction, she was quite verbally and physically abusive towards me. Yeah. Um, so were you in the way? Did you get in the way of her using? Is that because that's that's traditionally the thing that the the um, person is using alcohol or drugs. If somebody gets in the way, they just get knocked out of the way. Yeah, I think I was like my mum. I knew my mum loved me, but like with with her voice, she would say she loved me. With her actions, she would say she didn't. Yeah. So it was quite confusing. Very conf- yeah, very yeah. confusing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when did you first start using drug and alcohol? When I was about 12, 13, um, I, I used to do Austrian dancing in, a, in the small country town I lived in 
and um, I got offered to drink wine with one of the kids that I did dancing with and from the moment I could feel the effects of the alcohol, it was like, it was like everything was fixed, like everything within me, all the self-doubt, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the feelings of not being worth anything, of not fitting in, all just disappeared in the bottle. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good. My first drink, I enjoyed it. I loved it and I wanted more. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, it didn't stay that way. Didn't last. No. <laughs> right. So, um, how did you move into drugs? Uh, well, my mum was still in active addiction at that stage, yep. um, and her main drug of choice was marijuana. So I used to uh, kind of steal it off her, and I, I I think the whole reason I wanted to try it is because I saw my mum doing it for so long, and I thought, well... Can't be too bad. Yeah, it can't be that bad if she's doing it all the time. <laughs> so I, I um, chose to... Smoke it for the first time when I was about 13 and, um, yeah, again, a moment where I was like, oh, this is this is gold, this is awesome, like I like this. And um, But, like, really quickly it turned into drug-induced psychosis. Um, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that till years later. But it, it, I had drug-induced psychosis through smoking copious amounts of marijuana and... Um, like I, at the age of sixteen, had my first drug induced psychosis. Right. What okay. I now know is that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, well, listen, move to you, David. Um, yeah. So, what was life like for you? What was your family like? Um, look, I was one of six kids. Uh, Mum and dad were together until um, I was twenty-one or two. Um, they didn't really drink. They didn't uh, didn't use drugs. Um, it was pretty normal, um, you know. Dad was a baker, pastry cook, so he wasn't um, he was absent, I guess. And um, Mum tried to manage six kids um, to the best of her ability, um, so it was it was okay. You know, we were loved, we were clothed, we were fed. Um, I learned pretty early on that uh, negative attention was attention, um, and Mum okay. looking yeah. after six kids, yeah. uh, attention was spread pretty thin. Um, but if I got in trouble, I got attention um so that's just something i learned as an early you know as a very young child so. yeah okay so off air you mentioned that your dad was a migrant to australia yeah, yeah. yeah so was, what was life like for him i've only actually thought uh, about it since he passed away a few years ago but um he grew up in holland during the germany war i don't know second remember. world war yeah. second world yeah. war and yeah. um you know, the, there was very little food. He had a, a se severely disabled sister. Um, the father had been taken away to the camps um, and never came back. So he was quite traumatised by it um, yep. and, and was very shut off and very very quiet, shut off man who, who worked very hard to look after six kids. Uh, but I don't think he really wanted six kids. Yeah. But that's... Um, yeah, so, you know, he came to Australia and um, that was... 60 years ago and um 60 years ago when you came to australia you became australian it wasn't yep. wasn't okay to be a migrant and from another country um so he gave up his dutchness um but he was he grew more dutch as he got older of course but yeah <laughs> that's good yeah 
so if if he was working long hours, so your mum must have taken a lot of a lot of the stress then with all yeah, those kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she yeah. Was, uh, look, a lot of anxiety. She wanted things done a certain way because um, I think that eased her anxiety. Uh, I've never said that to her. I hope she's not listening. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it was very hard to please her. I guess it was what it felt like. Yeah. Um, and of course, seeking attention as as you know a needy little child. Um, I had a twin, identical twin brother, so we were. Um, you know, a matching set, I guess. Yeah. Very different, but very the same. Yeah. Um, got a lot of attention for that. But um, so, what about your brothers and sisters? Look, as one of six, uh, four of us have had drug and alcohol problems. Um, my older sister is still in active use. Uh, my twin brother is still in active use, going in and out of jail, living in squats. Just living the life. I don't have any contact. My older brother was an uh, alcoholic addict. Um, not that I see much difference, but uh, he died, um, I think, due to his drug use and his inability to, to manage without using drugs. Um, but he, he died a few years ago uh, by his own hand. My um, younger sister was was very sick as a young child, so she's she saw what the drugs did to the rest of us, and drugs and alcohol did to the rest of us, and um, and just never needed to go down that path. Yeah. And my second older <clears throat> sister is a very very smart, qualified animal behaviourist, one of the best in Australia, I've been told. And um, and she looked at what the drugs and alcohol did to us, and uh, and and just never took the risk. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how did it all start for you? What was the defining moment? Well, look, as Kylie said, for me it started with uh, Lego and sugar, uh, sugar at a very young age. Mm. Uh, mum didn't feed us much sugar because it would make us go hypo and crazy. Yep. And she had, like, we were all uh, like 12 to 18 months, two years apart. So yep. she had, you know, a young... A lot of kids, yeah. A lot of yeah. kids at, yeah. a lot, at a very young age, um, at very young ages. So she saw that sugar made us very uncontrollable and, and very out of control. So she... she pulled back on it um so you know i'd steal to get sugar you know in prep i got caught stealing to get sugar or or you know biscuits and whatever i could get my hands on yep. um so it was sugar and then it was lego where i'd sit in class and obsess about what i was going to make with lego when i got home because i could just lie on the floor and live in this little world yeah um and then it was uh reading was it was a big passion for a long time it's the only thing i've ever done consistently my whole life um yep. though i read a lot less now i must admit um when I found drugs, like I don't share about this often, I got reminded of it this time around that like for me I was uh, 11 or 12 and, uh, and buying butane and Zippo fluid and, um, and, and huffing it they call it, but I just sucked on it really. And I didn't know what I was doing. I knew that if mum saw me doing it I'd get in trouble, yeah. but I just I liked the effect. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that it was – I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't know it was drug use or it was – escapism or you know feeding the disease of addiction which which was i had for me my my addiction kicked off and i think was fully formed the first time i smoked marijuana um and i was felt something that i never felt before and it was that i was okay and and i loved the feeling i love that feeling that i'm okay yeah because i always had this anxiety um and I didn't know, I, you know, I just because I was just me, and I yeah. was, you know, twelve or thirteen. Um, uh, 
I didn't know, but I did know when it was gone. And um, my experience was that if, if marijuana was good, then everything else must be good. And, and as I got older, I just continued to use anything and everything and just sort of tick, tick them off, you know. Marijuana, alcohol, LSD, magic mushrooms, um, amphetamines, opiates. Um, as I got older, you know, I got introduced to needles and IV use, and, and that that really opened up a door. That was the using that that I stuck with for years and years and years. Yeah. So how were you then? I was. Um, I actually got told by my uncle, who was a, a lawyer, who used to defend me in court. So I'd get really drunk and go out and steal stuff and, and get caught. And, um, and, and he'd defend me, and he turned around to me and said, "If you keep drinking like you drink, you're going to be an alcoholic." And for some reason, that scared me. Um, I think because, as Kylie said, funnily enough, you know, alcoholics are, are park drinkers and they're homeless and they're drinking out of bottles and they're not clean. And yeah. um, but six to twelve months later, I'd. I'd um, I'd had my first IV use of amphetamines um, and that had helped me out of a major depression caused by the alcohol, funnily enough. Um, and a, a little bit after that, I tried uh, morphine and, and heroin for the first time and, and that that really pushed everything else off the table and, and opiates became my priority for a long time. Right. Led me into jails, um, hospitals, overdoses, um, suicide attempts, um, if you've got a heroin problem back in the day, uh, doctors were really easy to prescribe withdrawal medication, so uh, yeah. like diazepam and um, you know temazepam and clonazepam, all the different pams, yeah. um, and they just became something else that I could misuse uh, and abuse and feed my disease of addiction with. Mm. Yeah, it's tragic, isn't it? It's how easy it is to. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's look. It's a lot harder now. Um, you know, the doctors are more likely to give you a vitamin these days, which I agree with. Um, depending, I mean, you can't treat drug addiction with drugs. You know, you can manage no. it for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, Long term, <clears throat> maybe you need to manage it with with drugs of prescribed medication. That's that's your journey. Um, for me, as a as a Narcotics Anonymous addict who identifies as as a Narcotics Anonymous drug addict. Um, Drugs, drugs don't solve my problem. They just keep me in the problem. Right. Okay. Uh, well, back to you, Kylie. Um, so, you said you were you were using. You started using when your mum was still using. Yep. But she found recovery, didn't she? So, how old she were you did. when she found recovery? Uh, I think she went to her fir- her first meeting when I was about fourteen. Right. And then she went to rehab for the first time when I was about sixteen. And um, so by the time I was 16, my addiction was up and running and my friends who I'd used with were telling me that I had a problem and my mum said I had a problem and I was just like, I just had the attitude of like, well, I'll show you, like, I don't have a problem. Like, I didn't think I had a problem because I only smoked weed and only drank alcohol. Like, I really didn't think I had a problem. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I chose to move from the small country town I lived in uh, down to Melbourne, and um, I know, like it just, it just. I thought, I thought moving away from where I was using would change my using. Geographical. Yeah, yeah. geographical, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it just got worse. Like I found harder drugs in Melbourne. Um, I started using ecstasy and cocaine and speed and. Acid and like all that came on the scene, 
and then when by the time I was eighteen, I was in my first psychotic episode, like like diagnosed with yeah. my first psychotic episode. Yeah. So, what did you think about that the first time? Did, were you shocked with the psychosis? Yeah. Um, well, I didn't really know what was going on. I went two years undiagnosed, untreated. Um, from 16 to 18, untreated, undiagnosed. And I just remember thinking that everyone could hear my thoughts. And so I said to my mum, like, everyone can hear my thoughts. and Because she, she had mental health as well. Yeah. She sort of said to me, look, we need to get your help. And that was, um, yeah, that was when I first got taken to the psych ward. And they said to me, you need rehab. And, um, yeah, I went to my first rehab and I lasted two weeks. Um, because they didn't have cig- you couldn't smoke cigarettes in there. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when you've got off everything else, and then you know you don't expect to have to get off cigarettes as well. But yeah, yeah, that's life. Okay. Awesome. We might take a quick break. Interested in mental health issues? Then tune into Brainwaves every Wednesday at five pm. Brainwaves is a peer-produced and presented program addressing issues that may affect you. 3CR, inclusive radio, making your voice heard. Welcome back to uh, Living Free Show on 3CR. We've got nearly 90 episodes of the show available on podcasts, if you're interested. Uh, You can find them on our website at 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree. Um, if you want to send us a message or get in contact with us, you can call the station on 9419 8377 or email us at 3CRLivingFree at com, and we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. We held our radiothon on the 13th of June and we raised over $1,100, so thanks again for your ongoing support to keep the Living Free show on 3CR for another 12 months. If you'd still like to donate to 3CR, there's plenty of time. You can either call the station on 9419 8377 or go online at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. I'm talking with Kylie and David and we're talking about recovery from narcotics addiction um, through Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so before before the break, we were talking about, with you David, um, getting into studying amphetamine use and heroin use around 19 years old. So how did that work out in your life? Lots of consequences. Um, For me, I react very badly to alcohol and I was drinking very heavily. Uh, I had a major depressive episode where I was quite suicidal, unable to work. It was just, yeah, it just got really complicated and uh, I started using amphetamines and that, of course, lifted my mood. Um, But then it became, the problem is, it was how to keep that going how to get more, which is which is my major problem my whole life. It's always been about trying to get more. Yep. <laughs> doesn't matter what drug I'm using. Um, like, I sort of say, you know, I'm a poly drug user, so I, I use and abuse everything, though in Narcotics Anonymous, it doesn't matter what you use, how much you use, where you use, who you use with. It's about what, what you want to do about your problem. Um, for me, like, the consequences started adding up, um, especially when I got into opiates, heroin and morphine. Um, I started, I had a habit for the first time, um, I had a habit of using drugs from a very early age, um, but start, trying to stay away from withdrawal was was difficult with with opiates. And um, I started doing a lot of um, th- like a lot of thieving, a lot of burglaries, uh, a lot of factories, a lot of breaking into cars, garages, um, a lot, a lot of crime. And um, 
and of course, what went with the crime um, was was being arrested, um, showing up in front of a magistrate, uh, lots of corrections orders, um, a lot of corrections hours, um, lots of CCOs and ICOs, and um, you know, it, showing up in front of a lot of doctors, um, trying to either manipulate them to get different drugs out of them, the benzodiazepines, or uh, actually saying, "Look, I've got a problem. Can you help?" and um, but going home and abusing any of the help they gave me anyway. Yep. Um, because that's that's what I do. I don't have a stop button. Yeah. When I use, I'm when I'm using, I'm using. Um, off or on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, off or on. Yep. And um, at the moment, it's off. Thank God. Yep. So, how did you start? How did you start in the rehab system? Um. For me, I um, I was looking at going to jail. Um. No, sorry, I get confused. It was a long time ago. Um, I'd been to jail the first time because a lot of, like, I wasn't a, a, a particularly glamorous criminal, I'll say that, but yep. a lot of stuff just started adding up. I was on the corrections orders that I just didn't go to. I didn't do the community services hours. I got charged for, you know, shop stealing and burglaries and um, and, and I'm not minimising breaking into someone's house, but it was just this sort of really low-level crime of stealing a DVD player and cashing it in at cash converters and using the 50 bucks to go score. Um I went to jail for the first time, um, did about six months, uh, had six months parole, uh, was on a high dose of methadone and um, got got moved into a different area through a mental health program uh, and put into a unit and um, came off the methadone and, um, and, and just thought that um, I didn't want to use opiates, I didn't want to use heroin, um, so I used speed and, um, and the same problem. Yeah. It's exactly so different consequences, but the same problem. Like as Kylie said, you know, for me it was psychosis and um, and not sleeping for days, not eating, um, using every cent, committing crimes again to get money to feed my habit, um, or, or to feed, yeah. And um, the mental health program. Um, I was looking at going back to jail because the the police had just sort of kept catching up with me because I was such a smart criminal. Yeah. And. Um, and they suggested I go to rehab, and um, so I, and look. To be honest, the only reason I went to rehab the first time because I actually honestly didn't think that I didn't want to stop using, but I actually actually didn't know that you could stop using. You yeah, know, I'd only ever hung around with drug users and or, or my brothers who were drug users. Um, and I, but you know, I didn't want to stop. Um, but I wanted. I didn't want to go back to jail. Um, Part of me thought that if I went to rehab, um, they would fix me and I'd walk out the doors of the rehab and uh, I wouldn't want to use drugs anymore, um, which is a bit of an oxymoron. Um, yeah. You know, that I'd, I'd get the car and the girlfriend and the job and the house and the white picket fence and, and uh, you know, life would just start because I saw all these. I saw people I went to school with, um, not that I was friends with them, but, you know, I saw people living lives, normal, normal lives. And um, for me, none of my family really wanted to know me. Like, mum, mum was supportive but you know, like I'm a I'm a chaotic drug user and and I'm selfish and self obsessed and self seeking. Yep. So like I went to that first rehab and and look I learned a lot. I was there for about four months, four five six months or something, and um, woke up one day in the obsession. You know, like I learned how to talk about my feelings and I learned how to make my bed and clean the kitchen and do groups and gardening and like you know I learned to function and it was it was nice to live without having to use because it was a very safe very secure rehab but I woke up one morning you could leave any time even though I was wasn't court ordered but I'd been allowed to 
to have some time in the rehab before I had to go back in front of the magistrate. Um, and if I did enough time in the rehab, then the magistrate might not lock me up. Um, but I woke up one morning and was just obsessed with using. Like I just wanted to use. I had some money, more money than I'd had in a long time, about three or $400 in the safe that had added up while I was in rehab, uh, in the detox before I went in. And um, that money and the obsession to use just played on my mind and I left. You know, I said, I'm going, packed my bag. Well, I said, I packed my bags before I told them I was leaving and left. And... Um, and, and scored by the time I got into the city. I caught one train into the city and, and scored heroin and um, and was straight back into it. Like nothing had changed. Um, yeah. Nothing had changed. Uh, so about six weeks after that, I woke up and just thought, I'm going back to the rehab. I don't want to go to jail. Um, but, was, but nothing had changed and, um, and I was hoping it would change. I didn't know it could change, but I was hoping it might. Um, so I went back to the rehab and spent 18 months there, threw myself into the program didn't just make my bed like I hospital corners you know like yep. I really did the program I supported people I was uh, I got supported you know I um cooked and I cleaned and we grouped each other and told each other the truth and how we felt and and it was really really good um and I left after about 18 months um I won't go into the reasons why I left but um she was female and yeah. um I didn't leave with her but um and I celebrated when I got out. I went back to my family home with my brother, who was twin brother, who was still there and was still a weed smoker, and uh, used opiates on payday. And I celebrated with you know smoking a few bongs. And um, you know the next day he shouted me a taste of heroin, and um, and I was off and running again. You know committing crimes within a week or two. Centrelink like the the, the dole payment, Centrelink payment would last a day because that was pig out day. And then I'd either wait and wait and wait for the next load to, to show up, the next taste to show up, or um, or I'd go out and get money to get it. Um, and um, that went on for about 18 months. I transferred from, um, changed from opiates because I really couldn't handle a, a heroin habit. I hated the withdrawal um, and moved back to amphetamines and, um, you know, the psychosis, the weight loss, um, the, the total lack of self-care. Um, Went back to the rehab, the same rehab again for the third time um, and thought uh, – and, look, I knew how to function in the rehab. I was comfortable there. I was safe there. But after about three months, I woke up one morning very distraught and, um, and my mental health hadn't been great, but I just woke up distraught just knowing that I didn't – no matter how long I stayed in that rehab, I was, I was going to get out and I was going to use. And I didn't know the truth of that. Um, what it means to me now at that time that I knew I was going to use and that nothing was going to change no matter what I did in that rehab so I thought bugger it I'm just going to leave and use and I'm going to use so much that I'm going to burn out the part of me that actually cares the part of me that wants things to be different um, that that longs for things to be different I just have no idea how to make it different and and that, that rehab wasn't the solution for me though it did teach me a lot and it kept me safe for a long time yeah <clears throat> Well, it's good in a way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was angry at it for a long time, thinking yeah. that, that they didn't teach me my condition, you know, that I have the disease of addiction, that, that once I use once, I can't stop. Uh, you know, one is too many, thousands not enough, um, which is, is one of our Narcotics Anonymous sayings, uh, and is my truth. It's, yeah. it's my truth. But without that rehab, um, I wouldn't have got to where I got to to, to walk into my first meeting and, and actually... Um, 
I didn't get it straight away. I was clean for a long time, but I didn't get recovery straight away. But uh, I, I needed everything. Everything that's happened to me, I've needed. Okay, uh, so back to you, Kartley. Um, we talked about um, going to your first rehab, but you've been to many rehabs, haven't you? Yeah. So, do you want to talk us through some of the some of the cycles? Okay, so I've been to ten rehabs all up. Um, the first one I spoke about was a uh, Christian rehab, um, which didn't bother me, but I, I couldn't smoke cigarettes, as I said, so yeah. I left. Then I went to uh, I didn't I didn't do my next one till I was in my early twenties, and I stayed there two weeks. It was an eighteen month program. I stayed there two weeks. <laughs> um, that was because it was very strict, and I didn't I, I It's not that I had a problem with authority, but I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, <laughs> which right? isn't the same. <laughs> no, no, not no, the same at no, all. No. Um, and then uh, I went to one more. And then that was a similar experience. It lasted about two weeks. Then the th- fourth rehab I went to was um, a 12-step-based program. Yeah. So they taught us about the disease of addiction and total abstinence, and whereas the other ones had been harm minimization. Yeah. Um, and for me, I knew about 12-step fellowships, but I, as I said earlier, I didn't think I had a problem. But when I went into this 12-step rehab, uh, it was a four-month program, I almost completed the whole lot um, and then I got into a relationship with someone in recovery. We both relapsed together. Um, yeah, and then um, uh, when I relapsed, my sponsor at the time actually said to me, if you really want this, you'll throw out everything you've got. And I threw out everything I had and I ended up getting 22 months clean after that day. Wow. Yeah. And... um I know, like I got that 22 months um, just a day at a time doing what's suggested in, in our fellowship, which is having a sponsor, working the steps, having service positions, which means like either opening a meeting or bringing the team biscuits or stuff like that. Um, coming on the radio? Coming on the radio, yeah, 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 yeah whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, sharing to the still suffering addict. Um, all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, but I ended up relapsing at about, well, 22 months because um, I stopped doing all those things at around 18 <clears> months. I, st- I just uh, – gradually I stopped doing all of them but it started with a lack of meetings and then lack of talking to my sponsor and then not doing the step work and not doing service. And then when my dad died, it was like I just had this thought, I'll just have one drink at his funeral and – um Yep, that's it. Well, well, I did have one drink at his funeral, but then three weeks later I was intravenously using for the first time. Yeah. So did you lose contact with NA entirely? No, I always had one foot in, one foot out. Right. So I was, I, I always had the desire to stop using, which is our third tradition. Yeah. Um, but the desire to use was a little bit stronger most of the time, and I don't think I ever had enough self-worth to believe that I could actually get what was on offer. Like, I honestly didn't think that it would work for me. I thought, like, not again. Like, I thought, no, I've gone too far down the rabbit hole. Yep. It's not going to work for me. Yep. Um, but then I had hope that it might, so I guess that's why I was one foot in, one foot out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so back to you then, Dave. Um, so you had some years of not using drugs. How long was that? Uh, I was, well, it was one week off seven years when when I thought, um, when I turned my back on NA, 
um, and that was the only way I could justify using. If I'm not in NA, I don't have to be totally abstinent. Um, and, of course, you don't have to be abstinent to be in NA. Uh, it's encouraged. Um, and that's, as Kyla said, that's the third tradition. Yeah. Is, is, all you need is a desire to stop using. So, yeah. And I, that's very important. Um, for me, I was introduced to NA um, well, about 13 years ago now. And... Um, like I, like I just worked the program, you know. I did, as Kylie said, you know, I did the suggested things. Which, you know, I I, I did uh, regular meetings. Uh, I did one or two, usually two meetings a day for like two first two years. I did lots of service within NA. Um, like I shared honestly, uh, I talked to newcomers. Um, I had quite a few sponsors over, over that seven years uh, or, or five years, the first five years for sure. Um, you know, I did the 12 steps. Um, someone said in a meeting the other week, you know, insanity is coming to a 12-step fellowship and not working the 12 steps, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, I, which I really like. Um, it was actually Kylie, but we, won't, we don't want to give her too much credit. Um, you know, you know I learned uh, to have a relationship with my high power um, and, and like it worked for me. For the first time in my life, um, since I was 11 or 12, um, I didn't need to use a drug to function every day. Not that I functioned very well as a using drug addict, but I didn't need to use. I didn't have to use. Um, and for me, that was like a breath of fresh air into a life that had only ever been drug use. You know, from, from 12 or 13, for sure, um, it had been constant either drug use or constant obsession to use drugs, except except for brief periods of time when I was in rehab. So for me, um, you know, the other side of the coin um, is if I'm not in NA, I don't have to be totally abstinent. If I don't have to be totally abstinent, I can smoke it. You know, I can smoke a joint. Um, we had a, a family tragedy, and um, I mean, for me, it's like it's, it sounds terrible, but it was just an excuse. You know, like life on mm. life's terms is that one of the big sayings in NA, and you know, like life on life's terms, like people die, people break up with you, people get sick, um, people don't want to know you. You know, like life happens. Um, for me, I'd stop working a program to a point where using using a drug <clears throat> was going to be a solution. I didn't want to feel what I was feeling. I didn't want to be grief stricken. I didn't want to be angry. I didn't want to be hurt. I didn't want to be lonely. I didn't want to be feel isolated. And I was feeling all of those things and, and I'd got far enough away from NA and the peer group and the support and the love um, that using a drug was a solution. And uh, for me, I was, I was look, I smoked a, halfway through that first joint. I was thinking about heroin. Um, you know, two weeks later, I'd overdosed behind the wheel of my car, uh, crashed into a couple of other cars while I was, because I was basically almost dead or dead behind the wheel of my car in the back streets of Richmond. Um, had to get smashed out of the car by police and ambulance and narcan and arrested. And So the chaos started very quickly after that first drug. And as I said, like the first, you know, one drug's too, you know, too many in the thousands is never enough. Well, that was my experience. You know, I used that first drug, which was, which was a very harmless, you know, grown-in-the-ground joint, you know, marijuana, and... Um, and six and a half years later, um, like it just didn't stop for six and a half years. Um, mm. So I worked for, for quite a few years uh, in that early relapse um, and that kept my head above water. I, like I had money um, so I didn't have to commit crimes. Um, I, was, I worked in a, in a sector where I helped people and case managed people on a daily basis. That kept my head above water. Um, 
But I broke every rule that I set down. You know, I'm not going to use drugs. Um, I'm only going to use drugs on the weekend. I'm not going to use drugs uh, in the morning. I'm not going to use drugs at work. I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Yep. And I did everything. Um, and things just got progressively worse. You know, I became angry, isolated, um, very resentful, um, and, and t- in total denial, thinking that I was managing um, on lots of different medications, uh, using lots of different drugs. So I wasn't dependent um, on, on anything particular um, except the, some of the medications. But looking back on it, it just went on and on and on and on, and um, you know the, the, the psychosis, the um, the blackouts, um, the the bouts of anger, um, the depression, the anxiety, the fear that I would get found out, the fear that I was going to run out. Um, you know, I caught Hep C again, knowing. The day I caught it again, that I was going to catch it, but having to use that syringe, having to use that drug, buy that syringe. Um, so yeah, the consequences just added up. You know, for me, I had a major car accident and um, you know suffered a brain injury, and my response to that was just to continue using. Mm. So yeah, okay. it went on and on. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, so we might take a quick break. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. And you're listening to Living Free on 3CR Community Radio on digital radio and live streaming at 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm chatting with Kylie and David, and we're talking about drug addiction and how Narcotics Anonymous can help. Um, So, Kylie, back to you. So you've been in and out of rehab a number of times. Yep. So what was the trigger to get serious with NA? What was the thing that caused you to decide, I've got to get serious? Yeah, uh, (laughs) it was losing my kids into foster care. Right. Yeah. Um, and the the government changed the legislation to that if kids are in care for more than two years that they go into permanent care or get adopted by the state. So that was my fear um, and I didn't want that happening. So I chose to – it took me a while to get clean again but I chose to um, get clean for them which I did for seven and a half months and then I relapsed and then I was like – in a position where I either had to do this for a lifestyle change or I wasn't going to get anywhere with getting my kids back. Like, So I had to actually do this for myself. Yep. But my kids is my motivation. And, um, yeah, I ended up doing a 60-day rehab and they took us to meetings every day and, I don't know, I just, I just, I guess I'd just had enough again. Um, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, yeah, sick and tired of being on the misery go around. Yeah. Yeah, sick and tired of doing the same thing and and hoping for it to be not as bad next time, but it's always worse if not if not worse and worse. Like it, just the the places I was going, people I was hanging out with, the person I'd become, I, I just didn't recognise myself. Yeah, yeah. So also, I think you mentioned off here that your mum had died as well. So yeah. was that a, a 
a catalyst to you to to use or to abstain? At the time, uh, it was it was another excuse to keep using. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was using morphine, so um, that just got out of control really quickly. Um, and then, I don't know, like I, I used for a good – she died eight, nine years ago now, and um, – it really wasn't until I lost my kids into um, foster care that I decided that something needed to change. Um, but my mum um, left behind, you know, a, a legacy of recovery to sort of follow in her footsteps. So that's how I knew about NA, you know, that's how I knew about 12-step fellowships. And um, actually, I didn't tell you this off air, but um, mm. I actually have a, a daughter and a brother in recovery with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, not only is it a family disease, it's family recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It really is important to have, you know, to see people around you who need it in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad to see people languishing, doing nothing for yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. 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 No, my dad is an alcoholic and... You know, I was in recovery 25 years and Dad kept on drinking and it's really hard to watch somebody just keep on going. When, yeah. when you know there's a solution, yeah. it's just they don't want it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so getting having your kids taken from you yeah. was enough to trigger you to do something. So what did that mean in NA? What did you do differently? Um, nothing at first. Nothing. I kept using it first and just going to meetings even though I was using because uh, I, I couldn't stop. Um, I, I just could not stop. I went to meetings and did things like stood up and read poetry in the meeting because I love reading poetry and writing poetry while affected. I would ID as being clean when I was affected. Like just the the addiction didn't stop just because I'd lost my kids and went back to NA. Like yeah. the addiction continued for a good, I don't know, good two years because my kids have been out of my care for three years. Yeah. Oh, no, good year, good year, yeah. year and a half. Um, and then someone, an uh, older cleaner member sort of said to me, you, cause I said, I don't have the willingness to get clean. Like, how am I going to get clean again? I can't do it. I don't have the strength. Mm. And he said to me, you need to pray for the willingness to have the willingness to want to get clean again. Yeah. And a light bulb went off. I was like, wow, like that's really, really good. And, um, I went home and I prayed and I, I asked my higher power if I could have the willingness to have the willingness to want to stay clean. And. I don't know, something just changed that night. And I, I continued to use for a little bit longer. Uh, then I actually went to a, a really close friend's funeral who had OD'd because she'd gone out and relapsed. She had some time up and she used again. Mm. And I got clean two weeks after that. For the first time in 10 years, I got more than two weeks up. And I ended up getting seven, seven and a half months clean. And then I relapsed for whatever reason because, like, as David said, like, I didn't need a reason. Yep. I'm an addict. I use and I use more and I just continue to use once I start. Yeah, once I relapsed, I'd made the decision in my own mind and with a few of my supporting peers that if I'd relapsed again, I was going to go to rehab this time. So that's when I went to rehab this time round and uh, I've been clean a day at a time for just over 14 months now. That's good. Hmm. Yeah. So have you maintained a relationship with your kids? 
Well, I've got my son back full time. My 18 year old daughter talks to me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, um, I think she's actually listening. Hi, Hannah. <laughs> Um, and my, my, my 12 year old, there's a lot of damage done there. So that's, it's going to take a bit longer with her, Yeah, but two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, it's important. Once you establish the relationship, yeah. And try and if you work on a relationship, then it can only get better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to you, Dave. So you had a major car accident, you had real issues. Mm. So what caused you to finally get serious and get back into NA? Look, for me, um, we have a saying in NA, you know, keep coming back. And that, that doesn't matter if, if you're struggling to get clean like Kylie, or she kept coming back. Um, if you're clean today, then we're all hopefully all clean today. Like, keep coming back. And even if you've got, like, like years up, you know, years and years and years, then, like, the secret is to just keep coming back. For me, I kept coming back. Um, I wanted to be clean again. Like I wanted the relief. I wanted peace. I wanted um, wanted my normal life back that I'd had in my first recovery. You know, work and a car and you know a cat and all these all these things. Yeah. But you know, but I wanted to be me again um, because as a using addict, like I just didn't feel like me anymore. And um, like I wanted to be clean again, but I didn't want to stop using. Yeah, and that was that was the real sticking point. I didn't have a desire to stop using, and um, like I wanted to be clean, but I didn't want to stop using because I was so dependent on drugs again. Yeah. And, Did and you think it was hopeless? Look, I go after the car accident. Yeah, I gave up. Like yeah. I tried to come back a few <clears throat> times um, when I was when the brain injury was very intense and very severe. Um, you know, I still had a broken leg, I was still in a boot. It was hysterical. My mental health was very poor, like mood swings and major depression, suicidal ideation. So I was very unwell, still using drugs. And, yes, I, I didn't think that NA was ever going to work for me again, and I sort of gave up. But that's actually at a point where I had a sponsor at that point, and he said to me, you know, do you want to stop using? And I went, yeah, of course. And my brain's going, no, I don't. Yeah. And that's where I sort of thought, yes, I have a desire to get clean. I don't have a desire to stop using. And and you can't, without being able to put the two together, um, like for me, I can't get clean. So for me, I ended up in a rehab again over Christmas on my fifth rehab. It was a a 12-step rehab that, that, thank God, the TAC paid for. And and I resented the fact that I was in rehab. I was going to do 30 days, get out and just keep doing what I was doing. Like I had staph infections in my arms from poor injecting practices. Um, I was in, you know, a, a fairly severe psychosis. I was underweight, um, and I, you know, I was incredibly angry, incredibly depressed, intensely anxious, and um, anger is a way of dealing with the anxiety. Um, and I was really pissed off that. Can you swear? Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Well, they were, you know, I was really annoyed that people had got on my back. You know, just leave me alone. Yeah. And um, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and it, like the denial was very strong for me. Like yeah. I was still using money I had. Um, I was using a lot more drugs than I'd ever used because I thought that with the brain injury I was less sensitive to the drugs, uh, which wasn't the case, but um, made sense to me at the time. For me, I woke up in rehab after 12 days um, thinking that I'm just going to sleep through the next 30 days, go home, just keep doing what I was doing. And uh, I woke up and uh, I wasn't picking up any any medication uh, except some stuff on my back and um, I wasn't picking up any any medication around the withdrawal stuff from, from the medication window. And I woke up and um, like it was my first day clean in six and a half years. I was off. Mm. I was off drug <clears throat> replacement. I was off the benzos. Um, they reduced uh, a lot of the Seroquel and uh, Lyrica and stuff. Um, 
and I wasn't able to misuse it. So I had that first day clean, which I've said a few times now, and um, but I also had the desire to stay clean. And, and I, like, took, I just remember taking a deep breath lying in that bed at about 6 o'clock in the morning, this deep breath, and like I just – we call it surrender, and surrender is a very difficult word to learn when you first get into Narcotics Anonymous, but uh, like I surrendered to the fact that I just didn't want to go back. I, I just didn't want to go back, and um, – you know, uh, the rehab took me to meetings every night, which which I'm really grateful for. Uh, it was in Geelong, and the Geelong Fellowship is is an amazing fellowship. Actually, NA is an amazing fellowship, but Geelong, the Geelong area was amazing, and um, and it plugged me back into twelve step recovery. And um, for me, twelve step recovery is doing everything that that my sponsor tells me to do. Everything that we call it suggested. Everything that's suggested. Um, so I have a sponsor, I do meetings every day, I have a sponsor, I work the 12 steps or I'm working through the 12 steps. Again, I build a relationship with a high power of my own understanding. Um, I do service and, um, and I talk to people who are coming in maybe for the first time um, who have never been clean yeah. and let them know that, yes, it is possible to not use a drug a day at a time. And, and a drug a day at a time includes alcohol. Um, so, you know, Narcotics Anonymous has saved my life time and time again. Um, it's one of the most inclusive groups I've, I've ever heard of. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, what you used, how you used, um, what you are, who you are. Um, if you've got a problem with drugs, then Narcotics Anonymous is out there waiting for you to walk through the door. Yep, which is good. Okay, well, listen, we're just about at time. Um, if someone out there would like to know more about Narcotics Anonymous, then you can phone them on 03-9525-2833 or you can go online at navic.net.au. Um, that's about, about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Kylie and David for coming in to the 3CR studio and sharing their Narcotics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thanks, Thanks. Bill. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the impact of alcoholism on families and we'll be joined by some members of Alan family groups. On the 11th of July, we won't be having our show because it's NADOC week and they're doing special broadcasts of Beyond the Bars um, for NADOC week and we'll be crossing live uh, for a Beyond the Bars broadcast from Port Phillip Prison. Listen in. It's a good show. Thanks again for listening to the Living Free program today. 